0: Wow. Hey, I want to let you know there's a staff opening here at Grace Church. <laughs> Anybody can do Ryan's job. Well, the, uh, with the big events, a big deal. We want you guys to be there. You can probably tell that we're pushing it hard because we think it's important. We think it's important to try to be together. It's been over 15 years since the Bath Campus has been able to be in the same building at the same time. And so we want to we want to bring everybody in if you're watching online come into the big event and uh and come together we think it's important to see each other we think it's important to get a vision of what god is doing and what he can do through us Uh, we think it's important to catch up with old friends and all those kind of things and so we're going to make it fun it's going to be a blast there's there actually is going to be puppies there Uh, but we're going to have a lot a lot of fun with it but mostly it's it's just to be together and to connect ourselves together six services two different buildings it's just been a long long time since we've been able to do that and so, if you can make it February twenty-second, uh, Friday night, do everything you can to make it and be there. And I think uh, I think you'll enjoy that and have a blast and be motivated by it. So come out for that. All right, we're excited to be together and uh, excited to jump into this new series uh, called We, and we're going to spend a couple of weeks here in this series, and then we're going to go to another series. And over the course of these few weeks. Um, we're going to be talking about who we are as a church, and then we're going to start talking about the vision that we believe God is calling us to, kind of the next chapter, next level that he's calling us to as a church family. And uh, when you think about your relationship with Christ, this is how this works, right? So uh, we've been talking the last four... Four, five, six weeks about this finding my way back to God. And really, a lot of that is individualized. I, I am wandered away from God. I've been out there somewhere. I'm missing something. I understand the heart and the mind of my Heavenly Father who wants to welcome me home, is rich in mercy, wants to lavish me in grace, is freely pardons. When I repent and confess and come back to God, I'm welcomed by Him. And at that point, a lot of things happen in our lives the Bible says that if it's the if it's the, the first time I've interacted with Christ, that my sins are forgiven, they're washed away, my relationship with God is restored, I'm sanctified, I'm justified uh, before God. We've talked about all of that. At that moment, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells me. God comes and lives in our heart is how we would say that. A deposit is put down for, for heaven in the form of the Holy Spirit living within me. All of that stuff kind of happens simultaneously. And another thing that happens that we don't always talk about enough is we become a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, me as an individual, my sins are forgiven. My place in heaven is locked down. The things I've been kind of searching for to satisfy my soul i found and are given to me freely by God. The me then becomes the we. The Bible says when I become a follower of Jesus Christ, that I'm woven into the body of Christ or the family of God or the house of God. There's a bunch of different metaphors that the Bible uses for it. But me being a part of the spiritual entity called the church is as much a part of me having a relationship with Jesus as my salvation. And so who we are corporately, it, this is not just like good PR or good branding for an organization. This is a spiritual endeavor. That's why if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you really can't be separated from the church. You have to be involved with other people. That's why the Bible commands us to assemble together. Because when I share my life with somebody and they share their life with me and we meet together, something different happens. It's kind of the deep motivation behind the big event in a lot of ways. Something different happens spiritually when we're in that room together. So our Christian life works like that. I take in, right, I often take in, I might interact with God's word. God might speak to me or lead me in a certain way or or heal me or help me in a certain way personally. But then I really haven't completed the process until I pour out, until I pour out. And the Bible says when I pour out, I pour out to the church, to my fellow Christ followers, and to my neighbors. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I'm woven into the body of Christ. I'm given spiritual gifts that are to be given to each other in the church. And then we love our neighbor as ourselves. So for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of talk on that end of it. We kind of really mapped out this path. If you miss those conversations, grab them online, the website, the app, the podcast, whatever, you know, it's all over the place. So grab it. But now we need to talk on this side of it. Now that I have this, what do I do with this, and how do we form together corporately uh, to serve God and to proclaim his word as a church, the way that God would have us to do that. Now, here at Grace, uh, we would look and say, we believe there's certain things God has called us to uniquely, and we call these our values, and there's eight of them. And the We series that we do once in a while is us taking some time and focusing on a couple of those values because it affects us corporately, but it affects you individually, right? So as you individually follow Christ, we then come together corporately and we do this Together, And so we'll kind of make sure that we focus on these once in a while. These values are kind of set in stone for us. Uh, They're not as important as Jesus being God or the Bible being true or who the Holy Spirit is in our life. But they're important to us as a church where we would say, this is who we believe God has called us to be. And the things that are kind of rock uh, and bedrock for us and how we function and move. And then we look at the scripture and we believe that they're important for us as followers of Jesus. So the value I want to kind of focus on uh, today and kind of work through this this week is this idea. We would call it uh, this value of we are fully committed to kids and students. So we say this, we're fully committed to kids and students. We unapologetically devote major resources and energy towards shaping a God-centered worldview during a person's prime developmental years. We're fully committed to kids and students. We're unapologetic about that. We'll pour tons of time, tons of money, whatever the resources are required to do that in order to connect relationally with a child or with a student so that we can be a part of helping to draw them toward Christ and shape a Christ-centered or God-centered worldview during their prime developmental years. Now, here's the thing. Let me just kind of pause here and say this. This value is important To everyone, so nobody is off the hook for this. Nobody, right? So this is not a parental issue. This is not. This is not a parenting conversation. That if you don't have kids yet, you may remember it one day. Uh, This is for everybody. If you are a parent, it applies to you. If your nest is empty, it applies to you. If you're in college, this applies to you. If you're in high school, this applies to you. If you have anybody in your life that is younger than you, this applies to you. So nobody's off the hook. Nobody's allowed to duck out for a long cup of coffee. You're not allowed to turn your internet off. And if you do so, you have to tithe 50% of your total resources, right? So it's gonna be worth it uh, to sit through this conversation because what I'm gonna show you is this, that this is not something that is for people who like kids or have kids. This is actually a directive toward those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this value is gonna show up. I'm gonna show it to you here in a minute in the Bible. And it's something that you need to lock into as a follower of Jesus Christ, now, right? So we believe that this is important. We believe that it's so important that 19 years ago when we started the, the Bath Campus here, we made it one of our values and we kind of set it in bedrock. We said, we are not moving. We are not being stubborn. Uh, we're we're gonna be stubborn about that. Now, why did we do that? Let me just talk to you about that for a second, okay? There's a few reasons why we said this is critical and we're not going to budge off of it. Number one, I would say this. This value causes us to be servants. This value causes us to be servants uh, because kids and youth require time, energy, and resources, they require time, energy, and resources, and they rarely return time, energy, and resources. So I have to serve them. I work with churches all over the country, coach them all the time, and when I walk into a church, I can tell you if a church is dead or not by looking in three areas. Number one, I'll look in their baptistry. If there are cobwebs and, and fake plants, churches do not throw away fake plants. I don't know why they think they come from the Lord or something, but They store them in their baptistry. So if there's there's bugs and cobwebs and fake plants in the baptistry, church is dead. Ready? Number two, if the nurseries are empty, the church is dead. Number three, if they've cut the money and the resources and the staff for their youth department, the church is dead because it causes us to serve. Here's what happens. Here's the great temptation with the we. The great temptation of the we is this. That the church is going to serve those who provide the resources to the church. I give the money, shouldn't the money I give benefit me? In the minute that the congregation picks up that mindset, it's over for them. I give the money, shouldn't the money I give benefit me? You're done. This, This value causes us to serve. We unapologetically, if we're going to build, we're going to build for kids first. If you have a class that you've been using for 20 years and the kids need it, you're going to get displaced. When it comes to what activity we're going to pick up first, the things that reach children and youth are going to be the ones that we pick up first. If we have to raise money or give money to provide things that cause us to connect with kids, even though you may never use them, we're going to do that because we're going to put them front of the line. And as a mature adult, I'm going to be mature enough to take a second position and say, even though that child is not going to give to the church, even though that teenager is not going to benefit the church, in fact, they're probably going to break something, ruin something, and blow another subwoofer in the student center, right? <laughs> we just put it on the budget, $100,000 a year for sub. I'm joking. But like... <laughs> Kind of, but like it, right? It's just like we're just gonna do it. It's just the way it's gonna be. Even though it doesn't show up directly benefiting me, reaching them is so important and so valuable that that is what we're going to do. So it causes us to be servants. Here's the second reason it's important the prime time to share Christ with somebody is when they're a child or a youth. 85% of children, 85% of people accept Christ before they turn 13 years old. 85%, watch. How many of you accepted Christ before you turned 13 years old? Raise your hands. Hey. Most people accept Christ before they turn 13 years old. Therefore, if you have a heart for evangelism, if you want to make Jesus make sense, if you take the Great Commission at all seriously, you pour your time, your energy, your money into reaching kids and youth. They are the most open to the gospel, the most receptive to the gospel, and you are shaping their worldview in their prime developmental years. How many of you wish that you had accepted Christ before you turned 13 years old, right? If you could turn back time. If you knew then what you know now, you realize all the problems and all the pain and all the frustration that you could have avoided. So we look and say, because we value making Jesus make sense, because we lead with evangelism, we are fully committed to kids and youth, right? And the last reason that we would claim this value is we would look and say, it's actually the biblical model. It's the biblical model. When you look at the Bible, and you look at how God interacted with people throughout the Bible, who you will find him interacting with, again, not exclusively, but often, are kids and especially youth. If you think of most of your Bible heroes, most of your Bible heroes were teenagers or maybe in their early 20s. So think of Joseph. Think of David when he fought Goliath. None of those adults went out and fought Goliath. It was a teenager that went and fought Goliath. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when the whole nation's capital bowed and those three guys stood and would not bow down to a false idol, right? Think of Daniel in his early years. Think of most of the disciples. Some of them were professionals. They had businesses, and they were doctors and tax collectors. Many of them were just young teenagers is how we would think of them, older adolescents. Think of examples in the Bible where it was children, Samuel as the clearest one, where God is trying to speak to his people the chief priest wasn't the one who heard God. It was Samuel, the child, who heard God. Think of Jesus when his disciples started to say, you know what, Jesus is a big deal. Keep the kids away. And Jesus was the one who rebuked his own disciples. He said, he said, let the kids, let them come to me. Let him come to me. Think of the kid who brought the fish and the loaves for the feeding of the 5,000, okay? So you see again and again and again through biblical scripture that nowhere, anywhere in there is there an exclusion. In fact, there's really an amplification of children and youth. It's very much like God to work through young people. In fact, if you want to look at church history, 11 of the 13 major revivals historically documented in history were ignited by youth. They were started that way. In fact, if you want to get really crazy about it, look at Grace Church, which basically was uh, kind of our youth group when we first started. It was all those ideas that were put into place, okay? So we look and say, this is, this is not just a catchy thing. This is not about being fun or cool or we're just gonna make Jesus like, you know, cheeky and easy to get a hold of, we would look at this and say, no, 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 this is deeper than all of that, that if you want to pass the faith down from generation to generation, which we're gonna see here in a minute the Bible requires us to do, if you want to do evangelism, which the Bible commissions the whole church to do, if you wanna look for biblical patterns, you're going to be fully committed to kids and youth. And they're never gonna pay for themselves. They're always gonna need some other resources. Something's always going to break, right? When you have enough teenagers in the room. Something's going to break, or college students for that matter, but I'm kind of letting you guys off the hook, right? So something is going to break, fine, fine. I'm not talking about being abusive, but fine. A coat of paint, a fresh carpet square. If we are connecting with your heart, and helping you get grounded into the truth of who Jesus is, that is what we're going to do as a, as a church and as a church family. Okay. Now, how do you do that? That's what I want to talk with you about here a little bit. That's kind of why we do that, why that value is so important and why we're not budging off of it. And when you look around the whole of Grace Church, there's the Bath Campus for sure, the whole of Grace Church, you're going to see that value exported everywhere to all of our campuses because we've, it's so important. But why, why is it so important? And now how do we do it? What does God call us to? And this is where nobody is off the hook. Nobody's off the hook, okay? So the Bible talks about this idea in Titus of older men teaching younger men and older women teaching and working with younger women. How do you know if you're older? How do you know if you're older, right? Ready? Here it is. It's going to blow your mind. You probably want a tattoo of this. This is going to be the wisest thing that's ever said. Ready? How do you know if you're older, ready, if there's someone younger than you? Huh? Right? How do you know if you're older if there's someone younger than you? Some of you are in your 70s, 80s, 90s. You're just old, right? So they, like you're way up there, right? Some of us are like in middle age, right, like me, and I'm old to people who are in their 30s. They would look and say, man, I can't believe he lived that long, but he's gorgeous, right? So so I'm old to those. People in their 30s are old to people in their 20s. People in their 20s are old to people who are 15. People who are 15 are old to people who are 10. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and there is anybody younger than you, The Bible is about ready to speak to you about a responsibility and a commission to pass your faith down from generation to generation to generation. The faith is not just caught. It's not just self-discovered. It's not just like a choose to believe what you wanna believe. The Bible would say, no, the faith is something that we we train, we model, we journey, we pass it from the older to the younger, and we do that with great, great intention. Let me show you. Titus is where we're gonna go, chapter two. The apostle Paul is writing on God's behalf, and he's talking about this whole idea, and he says this in verse one. He says, but as for you, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Let's just stop here a little bit, okay? So in the context of passing the faith down from kind of generation to generation, Paul kind of stops and he says, let me make sure that I'm clear about what we're teaching. We're going to teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. Paul did not say pass the traditions of the church down from generation to generation. He did not say, pass your political views down from generation to generation. He did not say, make sure your kids run their home just like their grandma did. He did not say, you better have the same marriage that your mom and I had. He did not say any of that. He said, what I want passed down is not methods, it's not preferences, it's not worldly views like politics and how you run your home, things like that. It's not custom, culture, or tradition. What I want passed down, what I want you to teach, is what accords with sound doctrine. The easiest way to say that is this. I want you to teach the word of God. And I want you to teach what it says and I want you to teach how to live it and what it means. I want you to teach, we would say here at Grace, the heart and the mind of God. What does God say and why does he say what it says? Why does he say what he says? I want you to teach that and to pass that down. Now let me ask you this question. If I'm gonna teach God's word, what does that mean I have to do with God's word? If I'm gonna teach it, I have to what? I have to know it. I have to know God's word. And what Paul's driving at is this, is that the the further I go in my relationship with God, the deeper I understand sound doctrine or I understand the heart and the mind of God. If I'm going to pass my faith down like I am commanded to do as a follower of Jesus Christ, my faith has to be rooted in something. Right, I tell you what's wrong with these kids today. I've been a Christian for 50 years, and the problem with these kids today is that you did not teach them sound doctrine. And maybe because you don't know it. And the further I go in my relationship with God, the more responsible I am to know the heart and the mind of the scripture of God. If you're five years old in your faith, you, have, you should have five years of understanding of God's word. If you're 20 years old in your faith, you should have 20 years, old, 20 years' understanding of the heart and mind of God. If you're five minutes old in your faith, Jeff, I accepted Christ last week when you invited me to. I'm going to let you off the hook. Okay? But even you know something about the Word of God. What do I know? Well, you know Luke 15, the prodigal son. I taught it to you for five weeks. Okay? You know something. And Paul says, you take that knowledge, and that's what you're passing down. You take that understanding of God. It's not preferences. It's not culture. It's not ritual. It's not tradition. Those things can be experienced. You can have all those conversations. But he would say, that's not what I'm after. If that's what he was after, we all will be practicing the word of God in the context of the ancient Middle Eastern culture right now. It's not what he's after. With the heart and the mind of God. And to pass the heart and mind of God down, I have to know it. So as an older person, as an older man or an older woman, I'm responsible. That's why I might go to Bible study or why I might do a Bible reading plan or why I'm in life group having deeper conversations. It's why I would come to church on a regular basis. It's why I would do all those things. Because I have to learn it so that I can teach it and pass it on, okay? So Paul kind of sets in that premise and then he goes from there and he starts with men and then he goes to women. He says, older men, older women, this is what you do. As you kind of teach what is in accordance with sound doctrine, as you take God's word, you play that out in your life and it works like this. Older men then, he starts with older men, you are to be sober-minded and, Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and sound in steadfastness. It says older men, as you're teaching the younger men, as you're as you're walking them through life, the way that you're going to teach them. You're, I want you to teach them what it means to be sober-minded. That when you look and you look at your children or the younger men around you, you are not just their buddy. You do not just complain about the Browns and the Cavs. You are not a 50-year-old goofball. You're sober-minded. You're sober-minded about sound doctrine. You're sober-minded about the, the situation of the world that we live in. You're sober-minded about the pursuits of masculinity, biblical masculinity. You're, you're serious about those things. Doesn't mean that you never have fun. Doesn't mean that you, don't, that you don't goof off once in a while. It means that my mindset is sober. I'm focused on what I'm doing in my life. You're to be sober-minded. You're to be dignified, As an older man, a man of God, I'm a dignified man. That means that every other joke out of my mouth is not a sex joke. That means that I don't make cheeky comments about somebody else's wife. It means that I'm not Captain F-bomb. It means that I don't degrade my own spouse. I live a dignified life. I'm sober-minded, I'm dignified, I'm self-controlled. If you're a 50-year-old hothead, you're spiritually immature. It's, it's time to let God work that out of you. 50 years old and you still can't control your temper? Come on. And Paul would look and say, no, 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 no. You, you older men, you are setting this model and you're setting this face. You're self-controlled, your habits, your addictions, your body, your mouth, self-controlled. You're sound in your faith. You know sound doctrine and you have rooted, you've put your own self on bedrock with that. A, a, a man who knows sound doctrine and who's accepted it does not believe that you have your best life now. Does not believe that God wants to make all your promises come true. Does not believe that if you love Jesus, he'll make you happy, healthy, wealthy, and all your hair grow back. That's a child's belief, and more egregiously, it's a heresy. But if I'm sound in my faith, I'm showing you things like this, that as a godly man, this is how you endure persecution, As a godly man, this is your view on on suffering and how you come up under it and you praise God, especially when life doesn't go the way that you want it to go. Because it's what the scripture would teach and I've rooted my faith in that. I have a difficult marriage. That doesn't mean that God ripped me off. It means that he gave me a great and better opportunity to redeem my bride I'm gonna approach life as a man. I'm sound in faith. I'm sound in love. If you wanna understand how 1 Corinthians 13 plays out in real time, you can watch my life. That I'm gonna be patient and kind and gentle, not to perfection, but in an ever-creasing maturity. Why? Because I'm a man who loves God. And I'm sound and steadfastness. I'm not wishy-washy. I don't go on spiritual kicks. You know, we go to church if it's not golf season or if if it's too cold to be at the lake or my kid isn't playing soccer. No, no, no. Steady. This is the value. This is the foundation of my family. I'm an older man, and I'm gonna live this as a man, and I'm gonna model it, train it, Teach it to those who are younger. Now, this is where this is so important. Ready, fellas? Here it is. Find this anywhere else in our culture. I dare you. Go to anywhere in pop culture and find any example of a sober-minded person or a self-controlled person. You'll find tons of hotheads screaming about politics You'll find tons of of men who are just presented as fools in movies and sitcoms. You'll find those examples, but you won't find a sober-minded, self-controlled man. Find a dignified person in our culture. Go anywhere. Go to athletes. Go to politicians. Go anywhere. Someone who lives a dignified life. Find anywhere a, a man who who portrays masculinity through biblical love. Find an example in any movie, any TV show, any song where a man would look at a woman and say, I love you too much to sleep with you before we're married. You will not find it. And part of what Paul is pushing in here is he's saying, listen, men, you who are grounded in sound doctrine, who know God's word, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, If you don't model this, it can't be found. The epidemic of fatherlessness, 50% of homes that are broken, there's nobody that will live this out. And this is not a fathering conversation. It's a Christian man conversation. If our children... And our teenagers cannot find this in the church of Jesus Christ. Where are they going to find it? It's going to show up nowhere. So you model it. You you live it. You allow that the word of God to transform your mind, to transform your heart. And you live at a different level. You show, Older men, you show the younger men how to do this because you are probably the only example of it they're ever going to run into in normal cases. It's not a challenge to dads, but dads are challenged. It's a challenge from Paul to the men of the church that this is how we live, Then he changes gears, and he says, let's talk to the older women now. Fellas, you need to man up. Women, you need to woman up. Older women, likewise. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior means anything that looks very different than how the Kardashians live. Right? They are irreverent. They're godless. They're gross. Here's my body on another picture. I hope everybody looks at me naked. You, you model reverence and behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. The opposite of Beverly Hills housewives. Okay, Not gossips, not petty, not to the person in front of me at Target. And not slaves to much wine. That's the idea of addiction. I'm not a slave. My body's not a slave to wine. Ready? Or food. Or exercise. Or caffeine. Or anything. I'm not masking my pain, my insecurities, and my frustrations by dolling them under a painkiller None of that is to be a part of a godly woman's life. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. The word submissive in the Bible, it does not mean doormat. What it means is this. It is the giving the best of myself to someone else. I submit the best of myself to you. The same writer who wrote this in Titus wrote Ephesians chapter four and five in which he specifically commanded husbands to submit to their wives and wives to submit to their husbands. It is not a one gender commandment. He says right at the beginning of that whole passage on marriage, submit to one another out of love for Christ. Christ. So Paul is saying this to women. Older women, listen, you're going to train these women how to love their husbands and children, how to give the best of themselves to their husbands, how to to be self-controlled, pure, and working at home, how to be kind. You're going to train that to them. You're going to show that to them. Listen, that does not mean, that does not mean that you are to sit at home in the kitchen with no shoes on and have dinner ready for me. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying you have to train a woman. Right now in our culture, for instance, there is no training. There's very, very, very little idea of this, that I can be a strong, independent, capable woman while simultaneously being a dedicated, loving, submissive wife. The thought in our culture right now is I have to throw one away to get the other. I'm gonna make it in my career, I'm gonna be mad about all kinds of political positions, I'm gonna rage against that machine, or I gotta be home, I gotta be like growing my own herbs and homeschooling my kids while weaving their diapers. (laughs) Right? And those two polar things. And Paul would say, no. It's not choose one or choose the other. It's to train. You can be strong and smart and capable and independent and entrepreneurial while loving your children, building your home, and submitting to your own husband. If you're not sure how to do it, ask Heidi Bogue, who's the mother of six, started and runs two businesses from her home, and they're successful. You have to be trained, though. None of that's just going to make sense. Why is it going to make sense? Because you can't find it in the culture. Find me a example in our culture, in the pop culture, that would look and say, you know what is really, really good? What's, what's so good is to be reverent in your behavior. Think of, try to think of a pop cultural icon, that is the model of their life. From Marilyn Monroe through all the pop stars that you can think of, down through Madonna, who's like 95 right now, into the Kardashians, none of, what are they doing? They're, gonna, they're not gonna model reverence. They're gonna model sexuality, use it, empower your sexuality, throw your body, sell your body. That's all you're gonna see. Find somebody that is not a slanderer. You can't make it in social media if you don't slander. See? Find somebody that, that is that teaches what is good. That looks and says this is, this is good instead of rebellious or wild. Find a woman that, that can actually live out. I'm smart, I'm independent, I'm I'm strong, I'm entrepreneurial. And I'm totally dedicated to my kids and I serve my husband? What's the conflict there? Find that example in our culture. Find that example elevated anywhere. And Paul says you do that so that the word of God may not be reviled. You know what reviled looks like? It looks like when a, in this context, when a mom or an older woman looks at a younger woman and says, you should stop doing that because the Bible says you shouldn't do that. It looks like this. That's what reviled looks like. You don't live that way, mom. You Okay, miss third marriage. That's what that looks like. And the younger women are looking at older women and saying, I don't respect you. You act like me. I don't respect you. You're going and getting the operation so you can look like me. Be sexy like me. You're my mom. You're not supposed to be sexy. And generations of women are looking and say, what 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 do you have to offer? You're trying to act like me. Why would I want to be like you? And Paul would step in, I think, at this point, he would say, Listen, women of God, not moms, although they're included. Women of God, if you do not model this, where is it ever going to show up? This is nowhere. It's never talked about, it's never celebrated. When is the last time anybody ever said that it was a high, powerful, world altering calling to be a mother? It's considered an inconvenience so much so that if you decide at the last second to throw your baby's life away, that's fine. No one is celebrating it. No one is saying. No one is teaching. No, there's nobody to look at. And Paul looks at the women of the church and says, you do it. You, you've been saved from your mistakes. You, your first marriage failed and your second one is godly. You got distracted and now you're back on. Older men, you do it. You're not perfect. You came from this mess, but now you're doing this. You, you used to be self-centered, but now you're a selfless, sacrificial male like Christ Jesus himself. You live that way. And you anchor yourself in the word of God. God. This is not agenda stuff. Anchor yourself in the word of God and then teach the younger generation how to live, what it means, how to love, how to set priorities. Find in the Bible when your nest is empty that you check out. Find in the Bible... First of all, find the concept of retirement, period. But find in the Bible that when I retire, I retire from being a parent, retire from being a leader in the church, retire from being an older man training younger men. You can't find that. And Paul says, if everybody else checks out, and the men and the women of the church do too, why would we be surprised that the children and the youth are lost in the church? In the church, we would look and say we need to train young people and children. That's going to look like Sunday school. It's going to look like it's going to look like uh, power kids. It's gonna it's going to look like conferences, it's going to look like missions. We're training them on how to follow and know Jesus. We're going to look and say, we need to model. Modeling for kids and youth looks like you. It looks like you, staff. It looks like mentors. It looks like teachers. It looks like chaperones. It looks like older people, safe, godly, older people who will talk about. It looks like premarital counseling. Just modeling. Modeling. Probably the question Heidi and I get the most right now is how How did you stay married for 20, we've been married over 25 years. How did you do that? Literally, the energy generation is like, I, I have no idea how you did that. If you've been married for a long time, you, you should be training in the church, modeling in the church. Young couples don't know how to do that. They didn't grow up in it. They have no idea. Their parents didn't know. Their grandparents didn't know, see? So it looks like training. It looks like modeling. And then it looks like journeying. The reason that I'm at church every week is not out of guilt or obligation, but out of relational connectedness. When I'm in your life, and then the lake opens up and I disappear, or I'm in your life... And then, oh, I'm 65, guess I'll just go be selfish till I die. I break relationships. I'm not journeying all the way through your life. So we would say, in the church, this is what we do. We train, we model, journey. Personally, this is what you do. You train, you model, journey. With Jesus and your relationship with him, this is what he did. He trained, he would say, you need to do this, this, and this, He would model, watch my life, this is how I did, this, this, and this. And then he would say, by the way, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna go through the whole journey with you. And we mimic Christ when we grab this idea. As a parent, when you're a parent, the way this looks is this, ready? Here's the big word. It looks like intentionality. Training, modeling, journey looks like intentionality, okay? As intentional as you would be about your children's education, you would never say, you know, I'm just going to let my kids decide for themselves what they believe about math. You would never say that. You'd be like, sit down, right? You would never, I don't know, if, if they, sometimes they just don't feel like going to school, and I hate to pressure them that way, right? They're so busy, it's baseball season, and so they just haven't been able to make it to school. <laughs> you would never, ever say that. There's an intentionality to it, okay? And here's the challenge. I love you. listen. Your kid ain't gonna throw a curveball at 35. I know the kids of this church. None of them are that good. If they were, I'd hang out with them all the time because I want them to tithe. <laughs> Your kid isn't gonna tackle anybody at 35. Their tackling form is gonna be irrelevant. They're probably not even gonna play in college. Your kid isn't going to tap dance on Broadway. Your kid isn't going to play the trombone. When they're 35 years old, you know what they're going to need? They're going to be raising their kids. And they're going to need the word of God. They're going to need the family of their church. They're going to need the hope and the help of the Holy Spirit. They're going to need biblical community. And training a child spiritually is something you do as intentionally as training them to do those other things. There's nothing wrong with those other things. Our kids do all those things. Not the trombone, but everything else. It's why we go to church. It's why they're in children's classes. It's why they go to, buddy, we're gonna, we're gonna save up for lacrosse camp. We're gonna save up for football camp. We're gonna save up for momentum. Buddy, you can take the, the fine arts trip to New York. See a couple of Bonterey plays. You, you, can, you can take the, the sports trip to the Hall of Fames and, and, and we're gonna go to Haiti. We're gonna to go to Disney World, it's gonna be a blast. When you're a teenager, we're gonna to go to Universal, it's gonna be a blast. And we're gonna to go to inner city Philadelphia and serve, and it's gonna be a blast. It's intentionality. Please don't leave your children short. Please, I'm begging you not to leave your kids short because those are the things that they're gonna need when they get later on in their life. Guys, I believe as you look at the scripture, if Jesus were here right now, he might say something along these lines. If the church of Jesus Christ will not contend for kids and youth. When you catch this, it's important. If the church of Jesus Christ will not contend for kids and youth, that does not mean they will not be contended for. The Bible says we have an enemy. He prowls. He seeks to kill and destroy. He hates you. He hates your children. He hates every human being that God loves. And he is contending there's plenty of pornography for your kids. There's plenty of drugs and alcohol for your kids. There's plenty of sexual immorality for your kids. There's plenty of false teaching for your kids. There, there's plenty of information that doubts the existence of a creator. There's plenty of information about why atheism should be true. There's plenty of broken homes. There's plenty of fatherless boys. There's plenty of that. It is bountiful. And if the church of Jesus Christ will not get in between children and hell, who's going to do it? It's not that they go uncontended for. It's that they're surrendered to the evil one. Nobody else will fight this fight for them. Not for the cause of Christ. Nobody. And so Paul looks and he says, Men of God, fight For the hearts and the minds of these boys, women of God, fight. For the hearts and the minds of these girls. Church of God, who cares if it takes a basketball or a gym floor or a a bouncy house? Who gives a rip what the avenue for relationship is? Just do it. But if you will not be fully committed, if you will not be unapologetic about that, where else is that going to show up? Because the enemy is unapologetic about it. Mom, dad, we're included. But this passage is to the church. 15-year-old, do you know how much of an influence you could have on a 10-year-old? 20-year-old, do you know how much influence you could have on a 15-year-old? 30-year-old, you know how much, you got a three and four-year-old and this couple had their first baby, you know how much influence you could have? But we have to give ourselves away the way that Christ did for us. It's not just a catchy little thing to be cool with kids. It's a battle for their souls. And we believe that Jesus would look at his church and say, you guys take the front lines. You take the front lines. By the way, young people, the very next part of the passage, Paul says it's your responsibility to receive what you're being taught. That, it, that is responsible as the older are to teach you, the younger are responsible to be taught. And in the church, when there is sacrifice and there, and there is humility, there's a beautiful thing that happens. And the faith is transferred, the church becomes powerful, we become steadfast and creative simultaneously. And we start to be the presence in the world that God has called his people to be, okay? All right. This is what I'd like you to do. You can tell I'm passionate about this. I, I even dialed myself back a little bit on this one, right? So you can tell I'm passionate about this. But this is what i like us to do. The band's gonna come and take us into a time of reflection and worship. Please take advantage of that. But this is what i love you to do. I'd love you to pray for someone younger than you. Maybe it's a young family. Maybe it's your own children and grandchildren. Maybe, maybe it's a, you're a college student and you have a little brother or sister. I, you can figure it out, but pray for someone who's younger than you. Take them before the Lord. Maybe God, even today, would put it on your heart to pray for them consistently. But let's, let's start right now contending, right, and locking on to this mission I believe God has called us to be a part of, okay? Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. You do it for us. You pray for us. You intercede for us with the right hand of the Father. You contended for us. You stepped out of heaven. You took on the devil. You took on the planet. You took on sin and death and defeated them all. And you are within us and authority and power has been given to us. So God, it's not for our own benefit that that authority and power has been given. It's so that we can contend. And as a church, we contend as one man. We stand in unity. So God, give us a heart and a passion. Maybe even give us a plan and the intentionality Give us a willingness to sacrifice. Give it, Give us a view of those that we could surround and help. And make our heart like yours, Jesus, as we love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deepen in power and passion our love for our neighbor, that we would want for them what you've given for us. Stir in our heart that way even now in your name.